0: hi this is Daniel coming directly to you from Daniel's body and you're listening to Prodcast and I'm from Pain of Salvation by the way
1: welcome back to the podcast everyone my name is Dario I'm your host and this is episode 71, it's the second episode this week already, and uh, there's a special occasion bef- because of uh, the new Pain of Salvation album coming out today, actually, because this episode is gonna uh, come out on Friday, the 28th of August as well, and I'm really happy to have Daniel on the phone. Hi Daniel, how are you doing?
0: Hi. Hi. I'm fine i'm I'm standing with my car in the middle of the forest here and just waiting for someone to look at me suspiciously
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's the most interesting interview spot I think i have i have had so far <laughs> <laughs> It was this or a graveyard, and I think this is the better the the better choice you know
0: by you know between the two
1: <laughs> all right yeah um there's a new pain of salvation album coming out the first one since In the Passing Light of Day that was released in 2017 and I think every Pan of Salvation fan or everyone who's familiar with the band knows uh, how important In the Passing Light of Day was for you personally and of course for the band also. Um, And then a a couple of years passed, a few changes in the band and uh, here you are with the new album why don't you start with uh, yeah. yeah, picking it up after the release of "In the Passing Light of Day" and uh, tell us a little bit how uh, things led to Panther.
0: Um, I, th- I think it grows fairly naturally out of "The Passing Light of Day" because um, both sound wise and lyric wise, it is definitely you know children of the same idea, the, the same concept, if you will. So you had. Full Throttle Tribe, which was in many ways the song that that led us into the soundscape that we wanted for In the Passing Light of Day, which was when I started adding some some uh, out-of-tune keyboards that were sort of like going up and down and um, running fast pedals through noise suppressors and, and uh, finding some sort of ugly beauty, uh, imperfect perfection or, or perfect imperfections. And we started pulling that album into that sound and that world, and I just felt, after that album was done and 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 released, I still felt curious and hungry, you know, to see, just you know, go go further down that rabbit hole, Um, from you know, especially from a sound point of view, like starting there instead of pulling it into that world, uh, using that as a point of departure, and and that was. The birth of of the uh, the Panther Sound in many ways, obviously to us, it's been a much slower and more organic process. You know, since we've been there every day, been you know for these three years that have passed. Um, and concept-wise, it's basically the same thing. Like I I was I was dealing with sort of being neuro neuro uh, atypical um, in the song Full Throttle Tribe and that's where i just started you know i i kept digging in that end so in a way you could say you could see like um passing light as some sort of tree and then you have branches and a new tree coming out of like growing sideways out of uh, full throttle tribe i guess
1: okay well um i mean pain observation uh, has always been like your main baby your main child and you've been the driving force since the beginning and uh, also the m- main songwriter for the most part um now there there has been a few significant lineup changes as well or like one significant lineup change of course uh between the last album and this one and that was would be of course the the departure of Ragnar and the uh, return of Johan Halgren. Um, has that affected yes. the, the the writing and, and, and production process uh, uh, in any way?
0: Yeah, obviously, I mean, since I was writing with Ragnar and, uh, and did appreciate that a lot, uh, it was a hard blow um, that whole like, things went sideways in a way that I did not predict and still like we don't really understand what happened there. Um, And, uh, you know, that said, it was also, I I guess, like everything in life, it comes with a a cost and some silver linings. And uh, obviously, one of the silver linings would be that, you know, Joanne returned to the band. And uh, that has definitely made the entire social climate very warm again uh, within the band. And uh, that was a, a very nice a welcome change in many ways.
1: Yeah, you you mentioned the, the, the path that you chose with, or, or that you started to go down within the passing light of day sonically um, with, with kind of new ideas to the pain of salvation world, uh, sound world, so to speak, and um, that you, kind of explored them further in panther not only the lyrical themes but also yeah the the um uh musical ideas and musical yeah, yeah. words where you kind of dabble in and, and and uh explore more um now i feel that that uh, panther um parts of panther are somehow yeah going that road quite a lot further but there's also uh at the same time a lot of um, familiar um, pain observation things popping up, um, like the the yeah, little yeah. banjo-like theme in fur. The, the the it's kind of an <laughs> yeah. intro, I guess, to to the title track Panther, or or an interlude. And uh, I just noticed the piano in in Wait kind of reminded me a lot of uh, Frederick Hermanson's style. Uh, back in the day, um, so do you all have the feeling as well that that while yeah incorporating these new sonic ideas and worlds like more yeah electronic stuff and also production wise like the the vocal production um, in some points is also kind of kind of new uh, this modern style for Pain of Observation but um, yeah like. Still keeping old trademark uh, or, or uh, yeah bits and pieces of the Pain of Salvation yeah. universe.
0: Yeah, I, I think. I mean, it's basically it's. Um, I guess it's sort of my musical DNA that is coming through in in the music and has always been. Uh, so naturally, there will be like you will. I, I think you will always. Recognize pain of salvation, regardless of of whatever detours were taken, and um, I, I realized somewhere along the line um, that I was I've always been attracted to music that comes from passion and, and has a driving force uh, based on passion and and frustration and honesty and curiosity. Um, that to me has always been music that attracts me and that I've become interested in music that seems to be wanting something and seems to be on its way to something. Um, Whether that be out of passion or frustration or a combination thereof. And I felt as a kid, it it was so natural to be attracted to the the hard rock and the metal industry at that point, because that's where the courage was. That's actually, that's where music, sounded like a, in a way it didn't you know it hadn't really sounded like that before so it was based on the same components and tools as, as basically all the music that we have but it still had something it was standing up for something and standing up against something and it was sort of like you know what the music that at that point seemed to be the the, the bravest and um that was going somewhere um and I still feel that, for me, if, if metal and hard rock is to make any point at all, it needs to stay brave. Uh, and I, I think that it, it, at least over periods, those are music styles, together with any prog music style, that have they have a tendency of stagnating. And I think that's a danger to, to this music style. And my driving force will, will always be Curiosity, trying out of frustration and passion to, to get somewhere and, and uh, investigate other paths in music. To me, that's a way of, I guess, redefining whatever relationship I have with music. It's, it's a deep and profound relationship and I really love music and therefore I need to invest myself into that relationship at, at any
1: point. Um, yeah, you, you you mentioned the the tendency of also and, and maybe also particularly the, the rock and metal and even prog scenes uh, to kind of stagnate lately. Are you f- following the uh, yeah the the, the 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 scenes or the um, yeah the the bands that are uh, in in these uh, scenes? Are you still following the uh let's say the prog the current prog and metal scene are you looking for inspiration um elsewhere nowadays
0: the thing is i i don't i have never really (laughs) i guess when i was like in my lower teens i think i sort of followed hard rock and metal in the sense that you know you had like music magazines and and uh you would get those i was going to say buy but obviously you know your parents they were the ones buying them back then uh for you um and you know i was collecting posters and whatever reading everything about these artists but that was probably the the, you know the last time that happened um i have this way of be, you know, be, becoming sort of like magnetically attracted to whatever I hear that that rocks my boat, and I have very little concern about where that is. Like if I all of a sudden I hear this great country song on the radio or in a TV show or whatever, I will, you know, just be totally moving towards it. It's like it's a you know, it's tra- really getting my attention and from from there on i will sort of maybe search my way deeper into that if if i feel that it's interesting enough um so i guess like I, and it, that's been like as for as long as i can remember i've been focusing so much on on making music and being in music that um I don't really go out looking for music. It needs to basically, I was going to say, I need to stumble across it, but basically the music needs to stumble across me. Um, a, a lot of the music that I listen to today um, are the result of seats that have been placed you know, through watching TV series or, uh, or my kids come home and they, have, they play something and go like, listen, listen to this. And all of a sudden, every once in a while, Something will just, you know, kindle your um, your passion for what's happening, and you go, "Oh, that's cool! What is that?" Um, so I no, I, I have to say that I think that one of the strengths, probably, of of the band is that I think all of us are, or at least most of us in the band, not very much into following music <laughs> styles at all. Um, we just listen to whatever music we think is good and and, you know that can come from whatever source we don't really care that much
1: yeah um, uh, I I, I totally agree and I think this is also um, um, very important if if you want to stay progressive in the original sense with the music you're making Um, like not only listening to music that is considered progressive uh, just because the term was slapped yeah. onto it <laughs> <laughs>
0: I see your point <laughs> you know, I mean I have to say too that because I I mean I get the question every once in a while like if this is like an intentional move in order to to stay progressive but I just I don't think that we've ever like intentionally thought out to be and it specific music style, we, we never went into, let's do progressive metal, or we, we just we've just always made the music that we like, I guess, and, and especially me, since I'm composing almost all of it um, that is the main concern and then, you know, we get placed where we get placed, and we, we don't really feel that we have to defend any sort of label that we get or any music style um, there was a time when I was in my early 20s when we, I guess, tried to, you know, to, (laughs) to, uh, avoid getting labeled something or, or, um, endorse being labeled as something else or whatever. Uh, I, I think we came to the point where we just didn't bother that much. Um, because in the end, the most important thing is that, you know, people listen to your music and then they can like it or not like it. And, um, sometimes labels will get in the way and sometimes labels will help you because, I mean, in the end, it's a matter of communicating and making some sort of simplification of what it is to expect. And if people expect traditional prog metal, I, I think they might be positively surprised. Uh, and if they don't, then that's fine too. <laughs> so um, it's just, I guess we are what we are and that's fine, you know, whatever whatever we want to be, whatever you want to label us, we, we'll accept it. We've come to that point. All
1: right. <laughs> um, yeah, staying <laughs> s- staying at the production side a bit. I, I was really curious about yeah uh, how, how did you um, approach w- for for once the the the, the vocal production in particular like as I said earlier already in songs like Wait or I think also the title track. I didn't have the the time to listen to the promo uh, enough times. To, to fully uh, immerse myself or to fully n- know the album by now, but there, there there's there's certain points in the album where it's where it's obvious that you 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 started to play with vocal production in a way that you that that I think we haven't heard from you before and um, before it was like. Um, I think uh, throughout the pain of salvation discography was always like your voice is of course mostly the center of attention and and also this um emotional uh, and and uh, passionate approach that you just mentioned uh, about the songwriting actually but yeah. it always uh, shone through in your vocal delivery of course and 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 it was I always had the feeling that you tried to to keep it very very warm and very um Natural, the the vocals as as they are, but now there there are some some points where you started to to use some electronic effects and and stuff on your vocals that are of course um, yeah. drawing from some more modern um, production and sound worlds. Um, so how did you come to include them into the Pain of salvation sound.
0: Um, most of them are actually. I mean, there are good sides and bad sides with how production is is executed these days. And I mean, one of the good sides is, is, is that, and bad sides is that you can spend a lot of time uh, just working on sounds and working on what whatever you have recorded. For some of those things, you know, it was basically. A haphazard um, accident or whatever that that led to it. Like for Wade, for instance, um, I was recording demo vocals, and because uh, I, I just wanted to, to to show the idea, and I think it like originated in the fact that uh, there was a lot of noise around me, so I I just cut away a lot of the low end, and um, instead of like doing a second take because there was some sort of like off-key thing for one of the uh, the harmonies for the chorus like it, it was just like I felt like it's easier you know just put some auto tune on there <laughs> to sort of like uh, make the just for the demo you know and uh, and in the end of course like you know this always happens like I started to really like small details of what happened Um, up to the point where I found myself re-recording one single word like 80 times or something like that when I was doing the real vocals because I wanted that haphazard accident that happened. I wanted to sort of reproduce that, but with the right lyric because I didn't have the right (laughs) lyrics. I changed the lyrics instead. Uh, And so I needed – because what I – I'm not into like – cheating with um, an autotune to make it sound like you're singing pitch when you don't. That to me, just like, it it just sounds weird to my ear because I can hear the, the, uh, the formants changing, but the note is not changing. I really like, I'm allergic to that. Um, And I also, I'm not a big fan of the cheer effect. You know, when you just, you just make it sort of like synthetic sounding. What I did like was when it almost works, but it fails to understand what the voice is doing. So it sort of makes noises. And like when, I guess when tools aimed for perfection fail and give out, something really interesting happens. And especially for this album, that seemed to be the perfect um, analogy somehow, because that is what the entire album is about. Like how how we message rationalistically are trying to control The world and control humanity and mankind, and get like detailed control over every step of the process. And it is just becoming the system becomes so rigid that it's not, you know, suitable for for people anymore. And and all of a sudden, we're diagnosing and medicating medicating people left and right. Um, so it was this conflict between the need for perfection and how that how those tools are failing. It's just like. Perfectly like the, the perfect analogy for that hearing an autotune that is trying to correct your voice, but it doesn't really know what to do because because of what happens with your with your voice so I was trying but I'm not kidding there was there was more than there were more than eighty takes of that one word, and those were the takes I kept you know because they were sort of there, so I have no idea how many and, and this is so typical of the creative process i think because first i just sing it once straight through the entire song don't give a shit it's just you know for demo purposes and then i spend like hours on hours on hours trying to reproduce an error like how ironic is that uh, and so beautiful somehow
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, that reminds me actually of, uh, of some liner notes I remember from Roadside 2 where where I think you wrote that it, it it was uh into the wild and like you you were singing another lyric like ten thousand times all together in the <laughs> oh, studio yeah. before and then you changed the lyrics again. <laughs>
0: yeah. That happened with this album too. Uh for uh, um let me see which track was that. I think, for actually, for two of the tracks on Panther, uh, the, the same thing happened. For Species, that was one of them. I had recorded all the uh, the vocals and, and harmonies for the chorus, and then I decided that that was not, you know, I, I basically I just found a better a better way, and I think that is usually how I operate when it comes to lyrics, I will just twist and turn it for such a long time because I know that there is... Like when you have something that you feel like, this is pretty much, it feels pretty much right. But some part of you is just like, there is a better way of expressing this. I know there is a better way. And then it can take literally up to 10, 20 years and all of a sudden the phrase can just like be thrown back at you like when you least expect it and you go like, oh, that was it. That's the phrase. And that happened with Species. And um, Keen to a Fault, it was the same thing. That, the, the choruses for Keen to a Fault, I actually recorded three times. Um, and those that, that's a fair amount of harmonies that I had put on there. So when you get to that point and you realize that, no, it should have been this, that, that's such a moment when you just have to like take a deep breath and go like, All right, I'll have a cup of coffee and then I'll start (laughs) over again. Um, Because I think in the past, it has just shown me so many times, ever since the first album, that if you have that feeling, just better do it, like redo it. Like if you, if you just you're feeling that this was not, like this could have been done better, and you move on. Like you're never gonna, at least myself. I can only go to myself. I will never be able to sort of like leave it behind. I will always sort of like. Eh. And I'm so happy we we came to that conclusion already with the first album when we recorded Entropia. I just remember that we had. I mean, back in those days, you just you know, like you recorded. You, you learned the songs in the in the rehearsing room. You know, you had to being able to be able to do a demo recording. And then after the demo recording, you had, you know, you went to the studio and then you just started all over again. So we were going to record people passing by and we recorded it. And like what we did back then was that me and and Joe and Langell on the drums, we would record drums and just like a temporary guitar uh, just to run through the entire song. And then we would add all of the other instruments. And. So we did that with people passing. We just had this nagging feeling that the tempo is too fast. It is too fast, but, ah, uh, you know, it's going to be fine. And we just kept going. We, we kept adding layers and instruments. And then we were just about to, to to record the vocals. And we, like all of us, we were just like, it is too fast. Like the song is too fast. So we had to make a really tough decision where we went like, all right, you know what? We're going to start over. Like, And we actually scrapped the entire recording, like almost a finished version of People Passing By, and we started over adding like making it a, a lower tempo. And I'm so happy we did that because still on the album, the tempo is too fast. <laughs> I mean, it's still faster than the demo, and it still feels like it's not really... Getting into the the groove that that we had for the song before getting into the studio, so I think the lesson we learned already back then was that if you feel that it's not entirely where it's supposed to be, just you know don't think about it, just redo it, don't look back. And uh, I've been trying to uh, to use that uh, as a sort of I don't know like a, a mantra for whenever I'm making recordings and something goes to shit and I'm sitting there. Like it's so easy to just dwell on it, or to think that I've I've spent this much time. There's no point in going back now. It's just you know, just have a cup of coffee, take a deep breath, and just start over again.
1: Wow, that that was uh, a nice anecdote, a blast from the past <laughs> that came to yeah. the surface there. Um, yeah, we 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 talked about uh, the the some of the production. Um, uh, choices, or in that case, um, yeah, uh, accidents <laughs> that turned uh, turned okay, out into yeah. something cool, <laughs> and and also this yeah. uh, um, your approach to to yeah working with with uh, lyrics and recordings and everything, um, uh, talking about the the compositional process um, and. Like the 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 end product is always the the song, and the song has a certain sound, and um, of course, song structures are a lot freer in the type of music that you're doing, whether you will call it prog or not. Um, yeah. But um, <laughs> what what I think uh, is very vital to Pain of Salvation sound, it's always. It, it, I just I just. Uh, um, noticed uh, obviously it's it's in the band name itself already I mean, it's the kind of juxtaposition of uh, different elements that might usually not go together um, for example yeah. in the long track more or less of the new album of Panther Icon the last yeah. one there there's like a, a lot of uh, a big part of the song is quite um chill more or less or like is is not heavy or hectic or anything and then there's this these other parts thrown in with a lot of dissonant stuff going on and this hectic and abrasive element that um yeah that's builds the tension within the track composition wise um now um on the new album what what i found there's some there's some songs that have an overall organic feel also with with the guitars and the groove and with the sound but at some parts uh you experiment with a lot of um new synth or keyboard and electronic sounds and i had the feeling that um the drum sound of leo is still quite organic and i found this uh, a quite an interesting um yeah juxtaposition of 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 something quite electronic and then not only having uh the drums not sounding uh programmed or uh so uh accurate and overproduced yeah, yeah. uh so it would fit um like superficially would fit the the, the rest of the production, um, but um, also I mean Leo's drumming style is of course very um, very free and fluent, and um, I think I remember uh, reading in an interview of you when you that you were saying that it's so funny that. Um, uh, Leo and uh, Johann Langell, who's been the drummer uh, for Pain of Salvation a long time, for a long time before Leo joined, that they are so different, such different drummers. They have such a different uh, approach to drumming. Uh, with Johan being like very, very precise, and uh, Leo having that like totally free and 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 uh, almost um, yeah unpredictable style. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That and that's what I uh, I felt like when when Joel was in the band, I would be the one constantly trying to to loosen him up, you know. <laughs> uh, and and with Leo, it's the other way. I'm I'm the one like reining him in and and trying to pull him back and to, like if, especially if there are like pattern parts, um, you really have to go like this is the pattern and this needs to be here because everything is connecting to this you know um so so yeah i find myself having very different roles um as a composer which is which is always fun and it's it's fun to uh i mean because you, you can you can think in different ways also when you when you write the music and i i think the the thing that people need to have in mind is that I, and this goes for i guess every band um every band will have their music be a product of who they are but they will also become products of their music i mean mm. we have become the perfect pain of salvation tools in a way uh, along the years because we have been trained for this mission <laughs> if you will uh the music has formed us like if i have a musical idea um and that is you know sometimes you're using whatever skill set people have but i think at least 50 percent or more is actually finding ideas that are not playing into the skill sets of who we are which makes it more interesting like you're like pushing things and, and nudging things a little bit um putting challenges in front of people will also create something that is very interesting um and i keep doing that to myself as well like if i have an idea for something i'm like this is so uncomfortable for me this is not in my comfort zone but this is what i want and then you have to adapt to it whether that is Learning um, something that you have to be able to play, or or something that you like, you have to use your voice in a new way, or or um, having to, uh, to to make music videos where you're not in your comfort zone. Like whatever it is, like the artistic idea has to go first. And I think when you've decided that for yourself and and as, and as a band, it is much easier to make decisions because you know that all right, this feels unnatural and really like uncomfortable. It will be a cool thing this is what we want so we we, let's just do it and then 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 we'll just go there Mm -hmm. and for the for the drum set I, i think you're absolutely right um it is organic and and to me a lot of the um the important factors of panther is that constant strain between uh the coldness and the organic the panthers and the dogs the administrative Versus the passion, um, all of that is like an ongoing conflict, but also something that makes the music make sense in a way, um, because there is interplay, of, and I think that the album Panther is born in that intersection between those different elements, and that is a necessity for for the album to to become what it what it is in a way. Um, and, and also, one of the one of the reasons for this is that i mean i I grew up in a in a rehearsing room pretty much. I mean we I started as a band when I was eleven, and and a lot of the early years was time spent in a rehearsing room. And I've made a parable or an analogy uh, in an interview a, a few weeks back that in a way, you're always look as a musician, especially a musician that that comes from a rehearsing room tradition and a very band oriented tradition. It's like, you're always looking for ways of translating that experience into a medium that other people can, you know, it's like getting out in the night and having this beautiful night sky. And then you want to be able to, to communicate that night sky to other people who are not there. So, you will print postcards of the night sky, and then you will feel this did not really, you know, <laughs> live up to the expectations of the actual night sky. And you try to improve that all the time, because in the end, whatever music you're making, as soon as you're recording it onto any given medium, you have diminished what it, us- what it was from the start. And, and it's always going to be like a diminished version of something. And you, you want to tweak it and find the... the the right way of communicating that feeling when you're sitting behind the drums and that snare drum is just like ripping your face off when you hit it. Um, And those amplifiers are just like making your gut, like you can feel every note in your body. And in a way it is just like when you're in a rehearsing room, we get to be on the roller coaster and then we spend so much time trying to explain the roller coaster to other people who are not in the roller coaster Uh, and it's difficult and i think what what has happened over the years is that i still feel that i have i i've always had huge problems with drum sounds that are trying to sound impressive because 99 percent of the times i just think the drum sound is what you get when you're sitting behind them like that power that you get from the drums that is the best way and you do not have silly fucking sound and reverbs on that. And you don't have like a scooped bass drum on that. That's not how it sounds. That's just lame sort of like production stuff. So I I think that's where my drum ideal comes from. And then you have to sort of like make some sort of compromise to when you put that on album, because like, I, I noticed like for the passing light of day when we felt that like we were adding, For our taste too much production and reverb like even even daniel was like Bergstrand felt that you know like we i think we all wanted to make it even drier but there had been so much complaints about road salt albums that we sort of like we made a a little bit of a compromise there and and made it more production sounding and still fans were like why are the drums so dry (laughs) and we were like well there there's so much less dry than drums you know it is drums have you have you heard drums <laughs> um and and so so that is I mean there's always that sort of weird interface between yourself as a musician and the receivers on the other end and you have to sort of like calculate that offset and, and try to to make it make sense to to both us and to them um to sort of understand where they will get that same feeling that we get when we're in a rehearsing room. And obviously over the years you will like how things are these days, you don't spend the same amount of time in the rehearsing room. Mostly when we, we spend in the rehearsing room, we're rehearsing songs for tours and stuff like that. Um, no one is, no one is 20 anymore. Uh, and I'm not 46 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so naturally like a lot of the a lot of the writing process like that in the beginning would have been me telling the other ones what to play in the rehearsing room will now be me like writing it in in my home in my home studio pretty much like I did for Remedy Lane and for the B album and then to a lot of you know to a big extent for the Perfect Element album as well um and then you find new ways i guess of What's powerful in your home environment? Not so much, maybe in in a rehearsing room.
1: I was just going to say, there's a couple of uh, Tuesdays uh, more has have passed. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Now you you just mentioned rehearsing in the in the rehearsal room for playing live. Now, obviously, uh, right now that's a little bit difficult. for various reasons, um, the, yeah. of course, there's there's still this big uh, thing uh, that's holding the whole world the kind of hostage. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're also uh, a bass player short.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we knew that already. Um, I mean, this is the thing. I think we're a band that, for good and bad, we... we um, we we sort of take things as they come, and I think we care a lot about the music. We care a lot about what we want to to be doing. You know that that is our main concern. And then there's a lot of other stuff and logistics around there um, that we're not so so good at. You know, we we're not the perfect administrators. Um, and I've noticed over the years, though, that this is Almost always paying off. Like, if you, I, I, I have come to really trust the flow of mm-hmm. things um, more and more so, you know, the older I get, I guess. Um, and the thing is, like, back in, say, October, November, we were uh, in the studio recording drums uh, for for Panther. And there were several things that were just not some things were just not panning out. It was really difficult because we knew that the album was going to be released sort of like, you know, in in the summer. Yeah. Um, And it was expected of us to, to tour at, you know, at the end of summer. And we knew that there were people in the band and around the band that were going to have babies at that point. So that was like looking really complicated uh, also, we we heard from Gustav that that he was in a very we we sort of got that you know he was really stressed out and he was not feeling very good for a, like for for months and he was really stressed out by by his work and and uh, his all his commitments and everything yeah um so and so we didn't put any pressure on him at all and and just like you know whatever happens happens you know important thing is that that he gets you know time to sort of recuperate um in this situation and uh we learned when we were in the studio that that he was going to quit all of his music commitments and just focus on his his day job um uh, for a time that he did not know at that point at all um which you know and and i think many bands would have just maybe even stop what they were doing and started to try to solve this problem. But we were sort of like, you know, take the time, do whatever you need. You know, we'd rather have a Gustav in our lives than a bass player. You know, that's more important. your uh, men, your, your health and, um, and you will always be more important, yeah. you know? So, uh, so we just kept going, not knowing if we could make any tours, which was a, a big problem. And, We also knew that we had a a festival coming up and we did not have any time to rehearse because we were recording and making music full speed ahead, especially I I was doing that. And um, also we had too much material, which was a problem. And again, it's the same thing. Like Normally you would go like, let's just be clever and practical uh, about this and just record enough material that will fit this album. But I was just nah let's record all of it like all of the drums like even though it's let's just do it and I'll have a feel for it like the really impractical way of doing it Um, and then as we all know what happened was that corona hit we had an album because we we went in basically before we knew if we had a a complete album Uh, we went in so we had all the recording done I could just finish everything off at my home and uh all of a sudden we didn't have the festival so you know just just going on with panther proved to be the right decision and all of a sudden they're asking me maybe i could make another album after panther and i was sitting there with like half an album already i'm like yeah (laughs) you know you bet uh that's how quick i am i already have half an album and you just asked me yesterday (laughs) imagine what i could do with three days so um and, and the toys were canceled and all of a sudden they could take the time and, and just, uh, you know, be fathers and then have babies and stuff. Um, so everything was sort of like panning out. Um, and I think that's how it's been throughout the, the life of Pain of Salvation that whenever things happen, you just have to sort of like, okay, so this happens. Um, we'll just do this and see what happens and then, you know, how things pan out. Yeah. Uh, and the few times when things really go really crooked is usually when you have really tried to plan something into fine detail. That's when, you know, <laughs> that never, ever pans out.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you you mentioned the flow of things and, and looking at the um, history of pain of salvation, um, the flow of things have brought, um, yeah, now mo- most recently has brought uh, uh, Johan Hålgren back, and also um, yeah. a couple of years. It has brought uh, Gustav back, who has been playing with the band yeah. back in the nineties. <laughs> at one point already. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, we 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 can't see uh, in the future. So uh, as much as we can't say when. Uh, proper live touring is gonna be uh possible again so uh for the time being uh you you're not under pressure to find a new bass player or keyboard player i mean d2 could also yeah. t- take up the bass again right
0: <laughs> yeah i mean we we have off. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, I, see, that was also like one of the uh one of the things like i was sitting on an album where a few of the songs did not really have like bass on it. I mean, it was like um, synth bass or, or or just low guitars, because I mean, that is something that people should keep in mind when they hear the album, that a lot of the stuff that you might not think are guitars are actually guitars. Like for Panther, the song Panther, you actually have 14 tracks of guitars. <laughs> um, and so that was uh, like when when we sent the demo to to the management and label they both came back with oh it's a great song maybe you should add some guitar and i'm like you mean on top of the 14 that are already in there it's like it's like the most guitar heavy track that we've ever made it's just that the guitars you know don't don't necessarily sound like typical guitars and for me that is again one of the things when it comes to to metal when people say it's not metal enough First of all, I don't care. And secondly, if you like metal, are you actually liking metal or are you liking a specific amplifier? Like, (laughs) are you a fan of metal or are you actually a fan of Mesa Boogie amplifiers? (laughs) I mean, you have to make up your mind because to me, they're not equivalent. To me, it is whatever courage and, and passion and intensity you're bringing into the music and whatever... Emotions you display and um, and use the music as a vehicle of that to me is the heart of metal much more than whichever amplifier you're using for your guitar. I just have to say that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but actually, one one yeah. very one very last thing before I let you go, um, we like yeah. to do a little section in our broadcast that we 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 call. What's in your walk, man? So is there anything that you've been listening to lately that was not pain Association? uh that you would like to give a shout out to, be it like well-known or some obscure, smaller stuff, old, new, whatever? Um,
0: I have to say, like one of the albums that have, that has impressed me the most over these last months uh, was the last... Album by uh, Leonard Cohen. Oh my goodness! Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and and the thing is, I thought I thought I owned the last album because obviously, uh, you wanted darker came out basically on the same day when he died. It was just like so close, Um, and that album just hit me like a brick in many ways. Same here. and I didn't realize that he actually there was one album coming out after that. The album that he was working on, that his son and the musicians finished yeah. uh, in his absence, because he made them promise that if he died, they would finish that album. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, and it's like it has maybe four of the strongest songs that I've ever heard um, in my life. It's and it's just it's so amazing because the thing is like you, you grow up and you have your idols and a lot of them will sort of like stagnate and and start writing the same stuff over and over again. And it just seems tired and repetitive. Uh, But with, with Leonard Cohen, you just realize that there is an option. You can actually continue through life and maintain and nurture that frustration and that passion and curiosity. Uh, regardless of the fact that his voice is pretty much always the same. Yeah. Still, the topics that he's dealing with, the way he does it. It's like like you hear the last album and you're like, I want this guy to make 10 more albums. Because obviously this is still a person at 80, just at the brink of death, this is still a person that has places to go musically and lyrically. He's still, still traveling, still investigating, still curious. And, um, especially like you have puppets, like that's such a heavy track, um, both lyrically and sound wise and everything. And you have, um, the goal, which is just like, that should have been the ending song. It's just, it's like one of the most gripping tracks I've heard. Um, also, because you know that this is right before he died, yeah. of course. That you know that that gives that definitely an extra layer to it. Um, and the two opening tracks like uh, the. the but I'm not sure that they're the opening tracks. So let me name them instead. Um,
1: happens to the heart and moving there is the
0: uh, Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So that's the, those are the two. Uh, just amazing tracks, both of them. Um, and that 's been on rotation, and i I did your journey there. I went actually back and I listened to the entire catalog of Leonard Cohen and I realized that I really love his first two albums, and I really love his last two <laughs> albums and that, that is you know saying a lot I think
1: yeah.
0: and uh, and also like I remember being a kid and you heard the uh, first we take Manhattan song. And it was sort of like a synthy, sort of poppy song. You didn't give much thought about it at that point. Now, when you listen to it, it just struck me when I heard it, like in, in, as, as a grown up, that the first sentences in that song might be the, the best opening sentences of a song ever. Like, it's, it's just such a, a strong first line. Uh, this, you, they sentenced me to 20 years of boredom <laughs> for trying to change the system from within. Yeah. I'm coming now, I'm coming to reward them. First, we take Manhattan, then we take Berlin. It's just uh, like, it's, how good is that? It's just amazingly good. <laughs> so I've, I've had a lot of uh, Leonard Cohen on rotation, and, uh, and this song Grip Tide by uh, Barbara Rossa has also been a lot of rotation. Um, some 21 pilots and uh, the um, this artist called Think, he's got a song called Pilgrim, actually. Uh, and the long version of Pilgrim by Think uh, is also one of those tracks that lyrically is amazing and it just has such a slow burn. It's like seven minutes of like a constant slow slow crescendo um, that is just Amazing and, and like if you listen to that in your car, especially after a few listens when you get it into your system, uh, whatever speed you're driving at, you will like you will drive 30 to 40 kilometers per hour faster <laughs> at towards the end of the okay. song. <laughs> it's not one of those kinds of songs. That's,
1: that, that's actually like Barbarossa and Think is uh, will, will be new discoveries for me. I'm really uh, curious right. about them now. Um, before we go, what uh, my uh, contribution to, uh, contribution to the playlist and to the "What's uh, in Your Walkman" section uh, for this special episode would be um, a band from Sweden called Prehistoric Animals. Have you heard about them?
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've I've never really heard a lot of the music, but yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> I mean it. Uh,
0: That's really. really Uh, I mean,
1: Daniel (laughs) Magditch, who used to play with Pain of Salvation a long time ago, is the guitar player with them, and they are preparing to bring out, uh, release their new album um, on September 30, and the new album is called um, "The Magical Mystery Machine, Chapter One," and the first single. We were happy and very proud to present the first single. on the prog space and the first single is called floodgate it's already out it's the opening track and it's amazing yeah. and i implore you to go listen to it i will add it at the end of th-
0: oh, i will I do will that. Edit
1: at the end of the playlist yeah
0: <laughs> yeah it's awesome because i've like i've been so heavily into the panther album and all of that uh, i've met him several times and uh, we've talked about I mean we played together in this side project um just like for fun and uh and I've been really curious about uh, what the the music they do now sound like so I'm I'm going to I've I've always felt like as soon as I'm sort of like done with this and I can go to another source then <laughs> I will I will definitely check that out yeah uh, that's uh as a good reminder, I'm definitely interested in doing
1: uh, that. I'm, I'm happy you, you, you're you eager to listen to that now and uh, be uh, uh, on the lookout for the album because the, the, the title track um, is even more even more gooder, even better.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Alright. Uh, uh, cool. Thank you so much for taking your time, Daniel. Um, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I wish you all the best with the release of The new Pain Observation album, Panther, that's uh, coming out on August twenty eighth, the same day as this episode drops. And um, thanks so much for being on the show. All the best, and I hope we'll see each other next year somewhere on the road. All right.
0: (laughs) Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Okay.
1: Thanks. So yeah, uh,
0: yeah, it's gonna be great.
1: Uh, Thanks to the listeners for listening. Thank you guys uh, for tuning in. Um, Take care. of yourselves, take care of your loved ones and listen to great music. The broadcast is a production of Stuas Media and is recorded at the Moonbase Studios in Munich. It is produced by Randy M. Salo, Janine Stengel-Lewis, Blake Lewis, Kai Metzner and Dario Albrecht. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant.
0: That was perfect, right?